Good morning. I'm glad to be here with you, to see you that are gathered here in person, uh, to be with you, those that are kind of scattered around watching us online. I'm grateful also to be in the book of First Peter. First Peter is, is a great book. It is so great, in fact, that it spawned a sequel. Uh, Second Peter came out of this. Everybody was clamoring for more. Uh, what's fantastic about First Peter is Peter is speaking to people just like you and me and trying to help us understand this bigger story, this bigger story than what we just think is happening in our world, this bigger story that begins in a garden and ends at a table. And in between that garden and that table is a cross where it is finished, it is done. And when we sing a song like this, which that song is actually taken from after that meal at the table, we're going to get up and we're going to sing. And we're going to be singing this and we're singing to Jesus because he was worthy, because he was the lamb that was slain for us, because we're singing about of anyone that's ever existed in history, only Jesus could have been the one at the cross to make that happen, to turn the garden into the table. That's what Jesus did. And we're a part of this bigger story. And the story isn't done yet. And something I just want you to hear this morning is this. Because Jesus Christ was worthy and because of what he did, I'm going to say this to you this morning. You are worthy. Worthy is the you. And I don't say that in a sense of I was singing it a minute ago where I was worshiping it. I'm saying it as a declaration of Jesus to you. But he's singing over you and saying, and you are also holy because of what I did. As Jonathan read earlier, we are a holy nation. In Christ, you are worthy, you are seen, you are noticed, you are loved, you are not forgotten. And that's part of the bigger story. And it's hard to, to see that sometimes. And this is why we gather on Sundays a lot of times, I think, is just to remember those things. It's hard to see that all that story is true because our minds can get dominated by everything else that's happening around us. And that's why Peter writes a letter to say, let me get you back on track. And we're going to see that happen as we unpack that today. And what I want to do is, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3 this morning, but I want to actually draw you something that's going to be kind of a backdrop for us. I would invite you to draw this as well. This is going to be very, very simple to draw. So if you're kind of panicking about your artistic skills, let me underwhelm you, okay? Get ready for it. So grab a pen at home, grab a pen, something to write with. I want to, I want to draw something for you. There's a book years ago by a guy named Stephen Covey that was called The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And one of the things he talked about in this book is the difference between people who are proactive, who focus on what they're able to do, and people who are reactive, who are constantly responding and focusing their energy on all these things that are beyond their control. So let me give you kind of a version of that today. What I'm going to draw for you here is something called the platter of concern. And on this platter is going to go all the things that we are concerned about, that you're concerned about. It's the economy. It's the pandemic. It's the political noise. It, it's it's our, our kids that are away at college. It's our future, it's our job, it's our health. It, it, it's all legitimate stuff to be concerned about. In fact, if, if I did this this morning, which I'm not, but if I did this this morning, I said, hey, let's just start raising your hands and I'll write down everything you say. We would run out of paper putting things on the platter of things that we're concerned about. 
okay? However, sitting on this platter is a smaller dish. It is a plate. It is a plate of control. And on this plate are the things that you and I actually have power over. We have agency over. These are things like our, uh, our choices, our responses, our attitudes, our decisions, our actions. The things that God has looked at you and said, I'm putting this on your plate. I'm giving you the power to do this. Now, here was kind of the brilliance of what Covey had kind of come up with with this concept. The more that you and I focus on the things that are on our platter of concern but we have no control over, the smaller this plate feels. We begin to feel powerless, helpless, anxious, overwhelmed. You may have felt like that at some point in the last few months, right? All this stuff is happening and I can't do anything about it and it just feels all spinning out of control. However, the more that we focus on what God has put on our plate, what God has looked at you and me and said, I'm giving this to you and you have the power to choose this and do this and do that, the more that we focus here, the more that we have a sense of power. And I mean it in a positive way. The more that we have a sense of agency, the more that we have a sense of gaining effectiveness and influence and our lives don't feel that out of control. And so we can look at the world and say, this world may be out of control, but I'm not. And so a question that we need to address as we think about this new story that we're embracing is this. Are you focused on the platter or are you focused on the plate? This is what Peter's going to be talking about today. Now, we're in this book of 1 Peter. It's actually not a book. It's a letter. It's a letter that Peter wrote to a group of people who had embraced this new story. They bought in to what Peter saw happen live before his eyes. It was a story about a, a, a God coming to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. It was a story about Jesus Christ walking on this earth. It was a story about Jesus being worthy to die on a cross. It was a story of, that Peter saw of this Jesus rising from the dead. It was a story of forgiven sin and the unstoppable, ever-expanding kingdom of God. And these people said, yep, we're in. However, the more they began to look at the world around them, the more they began to kind of look at the platter of concern, they got really confused because in this new story, there was still a lot of pain. There was a lot of suffering in this new story. In fact, some things seemed worse in this new story. People were getting confused. Wait a minute, I, I bought into this new story and things got harder for me. I faced more pressure. There's now this growing persecution and opposition to this story that, that I jumped into. What's going on? And what was happening was the platter was feeling bigger and bigger and more powerful, and their plate was feeling smaller and smaller, and they were feeling more powerless. And they're beginning to wonder this. Was this new story that I just gave my life to wrong? Does it really work for me? So what Peter does in this letter is he does something for us that Jesus often did for him. Helped him reframe this story and then refocus his life and efforts on what God had called him to do. 
This is what Jesus wants for us. What Jesus wanted for Peter is what Jesus wants for us. That we would not let our lives be reactive to the story of our circumstances, but instead would be proactive in pursuing the ever-expanding kingdom of God that God says, I put this part on your plate. This is 1 Peter chapter 3. So I'd like you to turn with me there because what we're going to see him do in these verses starting in verse 8, is Peter is going to reframe people's thinking about this new story and then refocus them on the plate that they can control. So let me just read these words and let them kind of wash over you this morning. Verse 8 of chapter 3. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For, and then you'll notice there are some quotation marks, and that's because he's actually quoting Psalm 34 here. And many of the people that would have heard this story would have gone, wait a minute, I remember these words. I remember these words. I was taught these words. This is part of the story I understood For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil, do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you're zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense for anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that's in you. And when you do that, do that with gentleness and respect and have a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it's better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. So finally, Peter's wrapping up his letter. He's starting to head towards the last few words he wants to share with us, and he shares this giant kind of concept with us. And he poses for us a really great thought in verse 10. Whoever desires to love life and see good days. Show of hands, who here desires to love life and see good days? Yeah, almost all of us. I saw one guy back there going, no, I don't. But most of us do, right? That would be great. I would love to do that. In fact, that's one of the reasons I bought into the new story. Seems pretty great to me. And Peter goes on and says, let me tell you how you can love life and have good days. Great. Verse 10 and 11. Let him keep his tongue from evil, his lips from seeking deceit. Let him turn away from evil, do good, seek peace and pursue it. And again, many people in Peter's audience would have been, yeah, Psalm, Psalm 34, I know, this is how it works, right? Seems pretty straightforward. Speak truth, don't be deceitful, do good, not evil, seek peace, do this, and you should expect good days, right? Because as Peter says next, now who there is to harm you if you're zealous for that which is good? Who's going who's gonna to get you in trouble when you're doing the right thing? How many of you have ever gotten a speeding ticket when you were going under the speed limit, right? No one's chasing you. 
Generally, when you are living right, you should expect to love life and see good days. And his audience reading this letter would have been, yes, this is why I bought into this great story. Yes. And then Peter throws a curveball. But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Wait a minute. So are you telling me that we can do everything right? We can do everything God wants. We can be in the center of God's will. And yet, as Peter has just said in these verses, there will be times when we will be treated evilly. There will be times when we will be afraid. There will be times when we, when we will be slandered. There are times when we will suffer for doing right. I don't know about you, but those sound like bad days. I don't want those days. And I'm confused because Peter said, if you want to live good, if you want to see good days, live good lives. And now he says, well, but even if you live good days, you may face, even if you live good lives, you may face bad days. What gives here? Here's a thought. Maybe we need to reframe good days. Good days are not days free from pain. Good days are not days free from pressure. Good days are not days when we are unopposed. We can have good days in the middle of bad times. This helps us understand why Peter can talk about suffering in, in verse 14 and then use the word, yeah, it's a blessing. What? This word blessing is the same word that Mary used when she spoke about her pregnancy with Christ. When she found out she was carrying this child, she said, behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed because of what I carry. But anyone who has ever had kids and you say, Children are a blessing. You understand that that word carries so great joy, but also carries a lot of great heartache and pain. We have to reframe good days. Remember the story of Job in the Old Testament? Remember this guy Job? He was living life. He desired to, to love life and live good days, and he was doing good. He could tick off every one of these things on this little box of uh, speaking good and pursuing. He was living right, and then he went through some of the most traumatic bad days. He, he lost his family. He lost his property. He lost his health. He, he lost everything. But he didn't lose some friends who showed up with some great encouragement for him. These guys showed up and they had missed the reframing of good days because they looked at Job and they said, well, Job, you lost your family, you lost your home, you lost your health. Uh, you must have done something wrong. The reason you're facing bad days is because you've been living wrong. There's something you did, Job. And here's the problem. Job's friend's story of God was wrong. They did not believe in God. They believed in karma. That was the story they lived by. I think that many of us have gone to the school of Job's friends. That if you are suffering, you did something wrong. Or that maybe this new story just isn't working out. 
And there are many Christians today that are very challenged by what's happening in our world or what's happening in their lives. And they're confused because they said, wait a minute, I thought I was doing good, and yes, I'm facing these bad days. This platter just seems to get bigger and bigger, and my control, it just seems to get smaller and smaller. But if you have come to faith in Christ, I, I, I just want to remind you of this, that the story, this new story of Jesus is more complicated than that. It's more complicated than karma. And we have to reframe good days. Good days include bad times. Now, where in the world do you think that Peter, think about his life for a minute, where did he pick up on this idea that you could do absolutely everything right and yet face things that are wrong outside of your control? I'll give you a hint. We're in church, so you know the answer is Jesus. That's right. It's always the answer. Never be afraid to shout that out. That's good. G Peter watched firsthand. Jesus lived a perfect life, and yet he was put to death by forces that, to Peter's mind, were outside of, of his control. And he watched as Jesus suffered for doing good. Now, the day that Jesus died, at the end of our Lent season, we're going to commemorate and honor that day. And we have a name for that day when we gather together. It's the end of the week. And what do we call that day? Someone said, Jesus, that was really good, and I know I just told you <laughs> to say that, so that's right. But on the day that Jesus died, what do we call that day? Good Friday. But we have the advantage of hindsight. We reframe that story. That's a good day for us. We sing about it. We're excited about it. But for Peter, that Friday was anything but good. That day was an all-out assault on everything that he had staked his life on. It was a challenge to the very core of this story. It was a day where he said, Jesus, I followed you because I thought this was the story, and now the story is broken and dead. And he was lost. It had to be reframed. So here's the reframing part. Old story, do good, you get good days. New story, you can do good, and still face things out of your control. And this is why I'd suggest to you this morning that this, that focusing on the platter actually hinders our story. The more that Peter's audience focused on the very real persecution and mistreatment that they could not control, the more that they felt powerless, the more they felt like this new story was slipping away, the more they felt like this isn't working, the more that we focus our energy, lives, attention on the things that we cannot control that are happening around us, the more that we feel powerless, the more that we begin to feel like the new story is slipping away. Is this even going to happen? So what do you do when you are surrounded by a platter of things that you legitimately concern about but you don't have control over? Peter gives us some hope in verse 10. Go back to verse 10 for a minute. He said, whoever desires to love life, this word desires actually literally does not mean uh, wants, it means wills, it means chooses. Whoever decides, whoever chooses to love life, loving life amidst the bad times is a choice. It's something we can choose and control. A great friend of Jessica and I's, uh, Steve, years ago, I got a chance to work and serve with this man 
uh, for about seven years in a church in Texas. One of the godliest guys I know, loved him. And he told me the story of how one night his son Brian, adult son Brian, was driving home from work. And out of nowhere, kind of this truck turned and hit him. And he was killed instantly. And Steve, a, a young guy in ministry, a young guy in, uh, not that young, but, but still in ministry and life, was trying to figure out what happened here. Brian was loving life. Brian was doing good, and yet somehow circumstances outside of his control blindsided him and took his life. What do you think Job's friends would have said to comfort Steve? Steve really wrestled with this. He said, I, I, I really considered throwing in the towel on my whole faith thing. I really thought about abandoning Christ. I mean, I, I, I don't, I, this is not what I signed up for. How could he love life and see good days and still live in a story where his son was taken from him? He even had, told me that he had a friend that said to him, Steve, I've watched you, you and, and Bev, you live these great lives, you love God, and if this is how God treats people like you, I don't want any part of it. Walked away. I said, Steve, what, what pulled you back? And he said, I got to this point where I realized, what better story is there out there than Jesus? Who else can I turn to? Like, what else is out there? And he, he kind of defaulted back and said, this is what I have. He had to reframe his kingdom story as, there is somehow my story is a place where I experience the saving power of Jesus and the suffering of this world, and I have both in the new story. And he realized, I, I could not control this platter, but I can control the choices I make on my plate. I could choose to love life. Because when you focus on the platter, it hinders our story. But I'd also throw out to you that when we focus on the plate, it empowers our story. We do have agency. There are many things, listen, there are many things that people can take out of your hands, but I'll tell you, there are some things God has put into your life and on your plate that no one can touch. These are the things that God said, I've given this to you. What are those things? Well, we could probably go over a lot of things, but Peter in this passage just brings out three. And what he's telling a bunch of people who feel powerless and crushed, he says, yes, they can do all these things, but I'm going to give you three choices that you always get to make. They're on your plate, they're within your power, and here they are. The three choices that we get to make in this new story. Here's the first one. On our plate is blessing. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called. Listen, you were called to bless that you may obtain a blessing. Now, the old story is simple, right? You give me good, I'll give you good. Oh, you give me bad, I'm going to give you more bad. You give me evil, I'm going to give you evil. I would also throw out to you that the last 12 months, that has been the story dominating the planet Earth. The airwaves, the news feeds, the social media outlets. This story is fracturing friendships. It is fracturing communities. It is fracturing even our nation as we are seeing people live the old story out. Oh, you gave me some evil? Here's more. Back to you. God says, yeah, it's going to happen, but listen to what you've been called to, people in Christ. A new story. This story is called, You Give Me Evil, I will give you good. 
I will bless you, evildoer to me. Now let me ask you again. I'm going to ask you another raise your hands question. How many of you are originally from the South? Would you say? Raise your hands there. How many of y'all are originally from the South? That's good, good. How many of you know what that phrase, bless your heart, means in the South? Now we're in church. Please do not say what it really means. But we know what it means, right? That is not what he is saying. It is not the someone said evil to me. Well, well, bless your heart. The word bless is actually a verbal blessing. Uh, The word blessing in the original language is where we get the English word eulogy. A eulogy is when someone has passed on, people gather together and they say good words about this person. They say what was true and noble and hopeful and pure and, 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 and what they'll miss. Peter is saying, you were called to give living eulogy to those who hurt you and curse you. And if you do it, you will get a blessing. Okay, what's the blessing? Verse 12. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. When I love people who have hurt me, God's eyes and ears are on me. When we say good words over our enemies, God will say good words over us. He will eulogize us. He will say, well done. And then somehow, and I don't really understand this part, somehow when we are these kind of blessing people, God's ears are more open to our prayers. Now, I know it's easy to say what I just said. It's difficult to bless people that have hurt you. I I think one of the things I struggle with is, yeah, but they're getting away with it. Verse 12, Peter reminds us, no, no, they are not. Because while God's eyes are on those who do right, his face is what? Against those who do evil. You want God's eyes on you. You don't want his face set against you. That's chilling. God's ears hear the cries of those who suffer, and he says, I set my face against those who do it and I will deal with them. I heard a a pastor, Josh Howerton, recently say this, and I, I just wanted to share it with you. He said, being offended is inevitable. Living offended is a choice. Being hurt in this world is inevitable. Holding on to your hurt is a choice. Are you seeing that here? Inevitable choice. God has a plan for your future, but bitterness freezes you in the past. And until you forgive, you get frozen in time, reacting to something that happened long ago. Have you ever met someone that you can tell, they just got stuck in time years ago by this thing, and they never moved on? Maybe that's you today. You feel frozen in time because someone did this, and it's just you've never been able to move on from that. What we have to come back to is what God has put on our plate, the power to choose to bless, the power to choose to forgive, even though that is a choice that may take 10 times, 20 times, 70 times, 7 times, 1,000 times. I mean, it's, but it's a power God says I put on your plate. And when we begin to bless others, it begins to help us see how we can forgive them. That's a new story. That's not, I don't hear that story a lot today, do you? 
But God says, that's a story I called you to live. And then Thomas, when you're worried about the people getting away with it, those who cause suffering will pay. And God is saying, look, justice, vengeance, those things are on my plate. They're not on yours. Let me do it. That's a faith call. You and I have the power to choose to bless. That's one thing. Second thing Peter says is always on our plate is this, keeping Christ as center. In your hearts, regard Christ the Lord as holy. We just sang about this, right? As we sang this song today, we were thinking about a future day past the table when we're gathered together and we're honoring and celebrating Christ. We're saying, you are holy. Holy is a word that means set apart. You are distinct, Jesus. You are, you are different than everyone else. You are the only one worthy enough to, to open scrolls or to die on a cross, and we're singing that, we're praising you. And then Jesus also, right, as, as Jonathan read back to us, uh, Jesus looks back at us and says, and you are holy. If you're in me, you're part of this nation. And to regard Christ as holy means I let Jesus on the inside of me dictate how I respond to things on the outside of me. And no matter what pressure we are facing from the platter, on our plate is the choice to always keep Jesus as center. He is Lord of the good, he's Lord of the bad, and we can love life if our focus is on him. I saw someone post this on social media a few weeks ago, and I just wanted to share it with you. Sometimes I don't know how or why I'm still a Christian. Then Jesus. The older I get in this faith walk, I, I wrestle more and more with that sentence. Sometimes I'm like, why am, I, why am I still in this? And you know what always brings me home? Then Jesus. This is what Peter learned that day when he saw Christ coming out to him on the walking on the water. Unbelievable. Peter leaps out of the boat, and as long as he keeps his eyes on Christ, he's overcoming the storm. But a minute he focuses away from this onto the storm, the storm begins to overcome him when he loses sight of Jesus. And what Peter was learning there was this, and this is what's true for us. Our new story is going to fail us if we don't keep Christ at the center. If we don't keep coming back to that. It's not religion. It's not denomination. It's not church. It's not this. It, it is Christ, Right? A lot of what I do as a leadership coach is I help people just steward their focus because I am passionate about this belief that you do not drift into focus. You do not drift into Christ as center. It requires intentionality on our part. And what I want you to hear today is you have the God-given power and freedom that no matter what is happening on the plate out there, on your plate is your choice to say, I will come back and put Christ at center. This is a powerful thing that we have on our plate. Let me share just one more with you that's on our plate, and it is this, offering hope. Peter says it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than it is for doing evil. I mean, it kind of makes sense. If you're doing the wrong thing and you suffer for it, well, you know, you got what you deserve. But it's kind of confusing to say I would suffer for doing good. But what's really confusing is if that should be God's will, why would it be God's will that we suffer? This is where I think a number of believers get derailed on this trip. I did good and I got bad. When I played football in high school, 
I was offensive guard, right guard, the most important position in all of football, right guard. Some people say quarterback and stuff, but they don't know it's really the right guard is the most important. My brother played left guard, the second most important position uh, in football. These are the two most important positions. And one of the key things that the coach kept drilling into me was how important it was for me to get lower than the guy across from me. So I would say, get down in your stance. All right, you know, get down here. Lower, lower, lower. Uh, okay, coach, you know, you're standing up there. This is hard. No, Thompson, I want your gut on the ground. So you just keep getting lower and lower and lower. And the reasoning he said was, when you're lower than the other guy, you got leverage. And when that ball is snapped, explosive force comes out of you and you can drive him forward. And that was all, you know, and your coach is telling you that kind of stuff. It's all really good fired up stuff. This is what Peter's been saying for three chapters the more we lower ourselves in the world, the more we have leverage for this gospel story that we can explode with explosive force. To citizens under pressure from an unjust government, Peter said, yield to them. Get lower than them, and you'll get leverage for the gospel. To servants who are under pressure from these uncaring masters, Peter said, endure, get lower. Gain leverage for the gospel. Last week, Jonathan was sharing with us this amazing message on marriage, which if you've not heard it, you need to go back. You need to stop this message and go back and hear that one about marriage. But Peter told wives who were facing uh, husbands or were unbelievers, he said, let me tell you something. It's going to sound weird, but don't think about yourself. Care for the, your husband's heart, this part that longs for respect. In doing so, you're going to gain leverage to win their Husbands to the gospel. See, the more that we respond with the old story resonant of this world kind of thinking, the less leverage we have. What, what stands out about us? Nothing. But the more we respond out of the new story, the aliens that we are, the more opportunity we're going to have to offer hope. Something different. Look back at verse 15. He says, you're, you're, when you're doing this, you're always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Now, I always looked at this verse and assumed, okay, make a defense, okay, so I need to be ready to out-debate anybody theologically. I need to have all my verses down. I need to be ready to, to arm wrestle them and whatever I need to do. Like, I want to get there and I want to demolish someone and someone says, well, I don't think Jesus is real. And I'll be like, oh, yeah? Well, here, 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 here. And they go, oh, your, your argument was so wise, Thomas, I've come to faith in Christ. You've, <laughs> thou hast defeated me and my heart. yes. So make a defense, and this is a big thing. That's not what this is saying. Because first of all, notice, it's not you going out and telling anybody anything. It's people, what? They're asking you. The word defense means, hey, you got to be ready to explain, because people are going to have a question if you live like this. Peter's saying, when you choose to respond this way, you don't have to knock on doors. They're going to knock on yours. People are going to say, how in the world did you bless that person? that did that to you. I don't understand that. Explosive force, leverage. People are gonna say, I, I don't understand why with what you're facing that you still hold to this crazy idea that Jesus is real and he rose from the dead and that he's still the center of your life. I, I, explain that to me. Explosive force and leverage. And you need to be ready to say, it's not because I have great willpower. It's not because I'm a great guy. It's not because of this. You know what? It's because of him. It's because of the story of Jesus. 
One of the the challenging things Steve and his wife Bev shared with me about their son's death was this. What do we do with the truck driver that killed our son? He lives in our town. We run into him at the store. What do we do with him? For weeks, they invited this truck driver to come to their home and have dinner with them. And he, no, he said no. Finally, he showed up, and they had, uh, they had dinner with him. And they said, we just want you to know that we bless you. We don't hold anything against you for this accident. And the, and the guy said, he, he said, why are, you, why are you treating him like this? And they said, it's because of Jesus. They got lower they, they did a different story than the world would do. They got lower, and they had leverage for this man to come to faith in Christ. Bad days, bad times, they're the heat that bring our hope up to the surface for others to see. Which is the more compelling story about Job? Yeah, this guy loved God and had everything he ever wanted in life. Or... This this guy had everything taken from him, and yet he loves God. Which story is the better one? Job said, though God slay me, I will hope in him. I want you to feel empowered walking out of here today that there is a lot you don't have on your control, that you are really concerned about, that are all legitimate things, but you do get to choose to bless, you do get to choose to have Christ as center, and you do get to choose to offer hope. No one can wrest control of that from you. So I want to close today with a quotation from a great theologian, Gandalf the Wizard. Frodo, if you remember, is carrying the ring to Mordor. He has to destroy it. This might destroy him. And there comes this point. I love this so much. I wish it need not have happened in my time, said Frodo. So do I, said Gandalf. So do all who live to see such times. But that is not for them to decide. All we have to decide is what to do with the time that is given us. Last 12 months, this, play, this platter has really challenged me. There are a lot of things that happened that I'm like, I wish that had not happened in my time. You feel like that? But that's not up to me to decide. Not up to you to decide. It's not for us to decide. All we can do is decide what will I do with what's been given to me on my plate? And that's a question we need to be asking constantly. Is that on my plate or not? You and I will not find rest until we find ourselves in this new story, even though this new story may be a little different than we thought when we first got into it. As you move forward in 2021, I want to just challenge you this year. Are you focused on the platter or the plate? I would actually encourage you to do this exercise this week, to to draw these two circles, to begin to think about things. Is this something that is on my plate, but I realize now that God is saying, I didn't put that there, that that you should take that off. Put that on my, put that over here. Pray about it. Give it to me, but it's mine. 
There are some things that are currently on your plate that should not be there. And we need to be putting our focus on what God has called us to steward. And so what I want to do is pray with you right now. I want to ask God for the ability to be people like this who steward the plate before us. Will you pause and pray with me? Jesus, we, we do believe the new story. That what you started in the garden and we broke and then you went to a cross to fix and that we are looking forward to one day a table where we gather with you and we, we get to, to live the life that you intended. We believe that story and yet this world is really taxing our ability to hold on to it. And so before we spin out of control, we ask you to help remind us what you have put on our plate, what is within our control, and we ask you for the strength to steward it as people of the new story.